Lisa will uh, pick up questions and comments off of Facebook for us. And in the last 15 minutes or so, we'll, we'll consider those and discuss those. Donald Jean Lewis Jr., it's great to have you here tonight. It's wonderful to see you even virtually. It's been a yeah. couple of months since I've seen you up at Creative Life. Donald has been helping us with our with our TikTok presence, some of our sort of more complex social media outreach. And uh, Donald and I started having public conversations uh, about spirituality and race about five years ago. And this is the second formal race conversation that is specifically geared to that topic that we've had the last one was in October of 21 and it's on Facebook uh, in our video uh, scroll down to the video and it's also on our YouTube channel under the playlist called Soul Sessions so Donald it's great to be with you tonight let's get talking we spoke the other day you had some topics in mind where would you like to begin I want to begin real quick with a story. I think it'll set the, the tone and the mood for this. That was a woman. And uh, outside her house, she saw three men in robes. They had long beards and they had robes on. And she's a nice lady, so she was a bit taken back, but she walked out and spoke to them and saw that they were nice. And she said, y'all must be hungry. Come on in and have a bite to eat. They said, where's your husband? She said, he's gone right now. He, he's out. They said, we can't come in without your husband. She said, okay, suit yourself. The husband came in late on that evening. The men were still out there. She told them about him. And he said, hey, invite him in. So she went back, I said, my husband's here. He said, it's okay for you guys to come in and eat with us. And they asked her, they said, hey, you got to pick one of us. She said, hmm. He said, my name is Will. You can pick me. You can pick my friend. His name is Success. Or you can pick my other friend. His name is Love. So she went back to her husband and she said, hey, Wealth, success, or love, which one do which one which one you want? He said, Hey, let's get wealth in the house. We need more of that. Their daughter quickly intervened and said, No, no, no. We need more love. They all looked at her and said, You know what? We'll go with love. So she went out and she said, Who among you is love? Love got it. She said, Come on in. Here's the thing. When love got up, wealth followed behind. Success followed behind. And she said, hey, wait a minute. Why are you two coming with love? I only picked one. That, that was the deal. They said, oh, if you were to pick any of us two, only one of us would have came. But because you pick love, everywhere love goes, wealth goes. Everywhere love goes, success goes. So I wanted to start this off by saying, I want to evoke and invite the presence of love in this conversation before we go any further. That's <laughs> beautiful. That's beautiful and true. So some of the issues we came up with were, what does God have to do 
with racism? Is, is God even important? How do you define God? Is, is the church important with peace? Um, it's, what about the N-word? I want to end it on that one. You want to end but it on that, first, right? <laughs> but okay. the first one I wanted to really bring up first was can Blacks be racist? Let's go. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll tell you what I think. Then you'll tell us what you think. And uh, we'll see where we agree. And I sense we agree on pretty much everything. <laughs> Anybody can hate. Anybody can be taught to hate. Any color of person can be taught to hate. But if you define racism, as a structure, as an entire architecture of oppression, of layers and levels of power, that's a function of white people in the so-called first world, in the so-called developed world. It's a function of colonialism and how when slavery was abolished a war was fought and slaves were nominally freed they were not freed to be people at the same level of functionality as their white brothers and sisters they were freed to be a cheap workforce who were converted from being slaves into being basically indentured servants on the same lands they had worked or who were invited north to work in the factories. And out of that came a whole economic structure that obtains to this day. And this is the thing that we're working on dismantling. And everything that I know about or everything that I study about racism indicates that the problem exists not chiefly at the level of one person hating on another, but on whole systems and structures that are set up to oppress and keep down and marginalize people of color. So can Blacks be racist? Well, it's not possible in this culture because Blacks don't have the power. They don't, they don't run those systems. And you could make the argument that if Blacks did run those systems, that they turn right around and operate them in the same way that white people have. That's kind of a, that's kind of a dismal point of view. It's like the question that comes up a lot of times, what if we had a woman president or what if women ran the world? What if women were in power and a majority of women in, in the Congress and in all of the parliaments of the world and stuff? Would they, would they run the world with more compassion and more tenderness and more care? I kind of think they would. Well, we don't know. There's no way to prove that. And it, it, then it brings us to the question of does power corrupt? Does absolute power corrupt? Absolutely. That's a good question, but it's off the point of what we're talking about here right now. You know, so I want to I want to mention this too. the last conversation that you and I had online, the last race conversation we had. I asked you a question toward the end of the evening. <clears throat> 
about, I think it was this, I was trying to find it, but it's, I had to, I didn't have time to go through frame by frame of what we were doing. But the question was, what, what's your reaction when you see a white man? What, what is your visceral reaction when you first encounter a white man? And you thought about it a moment and you said skepticism. You remember that? Uh -huh. You said skepticism. It, it wasn't stark fear because you can take care of yourself and you are, you have developed skills and abilities to socialize and be with people and calm down difficult situations and all the rest of this as most grown-ups have, but you're skeptical. You're deeply skeptical. And I appreciate that. And I agree with that. And I completely understand that. And that to me is not the same as you being a racist. It's you being cautious. It's you realizing that you could be being sold a bill of goods. And I appreciate the time that you have taken with me personally to get to know me, to get to trust me. And I never felt skepticism coming from you, really. And I think that may have been because you had, you had read my work and seen my work before we ever physically met that first day that you came to create life. But you've watched me just like you're watching me now to see where is this going and is this man sincere and is this, you know, am I doing this for, for publicity's sake? Are we having these soul sessions so that we look good to the rest of the progressive world or whatnot? And, and that's not racism. That's just, that's just a, a cautious, careful approach to human relations. So to answer your question, no, I don't think blacks can be racist in the sense of structural racism. At least they've never been given the opportunity to in, the, in this part of the world that we're in right now. But I think black people can fear and black people can have that fear turn to hate as any person can. Any person can be conditioned by the experiences of their life to hate as a way to cover their fear and a way to protect themselves. I absolutely 100% agree. You see it all in the media. That's racist. <laughs> That's racist that you see people saying that, especially when, oh, they're race baiting. When you, you have subjects like the George Floyd murder, racism produced the reaction to a man having a knee on his head for over eight minutes because it's a construct that was built to totally keep people of color out of wealth out of participation because we were never considered equal and i hate to say it but and this is a sensitive conversation but you can see it now and it's subconsciously and you can see it through people's actions that they still, a lot of people still don't consider us people. You'll get a more of a visceral reaction out of a dog being abused than a black person. When it comes to a black person, it's questions, it's this, it's that. I mean, did the guy have fentanyl? It doesn't matter. You put yeah. your knee on his neck and so the question then goes, well, was 
the guy racist who did who cares the system the system that allowed for that to happen for allow for this justice process to be able to happen all these other senseless murders that we're seeing the system that allows for that to happen and to get away people to get away with it it lets you know you just had a couple a few weeks ago the house was uh, terribly devalued just because yeah. they were black yeah. they put a white person in there and it went up and people say there's no such thing it's system systemic racism it is yeah black people can be prejudiced everybody can be prejudiced yeah but there we you can't go be racist because we're not the dominant force yeah. in this American society. I 100% agree. I'm, slavery was started. <laughs> you know, after Henry the Navigator found these guys, this, these Africans rather, brought them into the Pope. The Pope kept them for about 40 years. So, hey, this is working out pretty well. Then Pope Innocent comes along and says, hey, if we're going well, let's, to, let's, let's take slavery to another level. Up until then, there was no such thing as racism. There was no such thing, you know, if you were a slave, it was because of three reasons. You were what? You owed a debt. Yeah. You were a prisoner of war or a religious oppression. He said, no, let's do it because of skin color. These people. 1492 comes around, Columbus discovers America. Who do they get to uh, deal with this land? Free labor. So what that brings me to is this, since we're spiritual people and we believe that everything has a spiritual source, I personally believe that the root of racism is in poverty. Hmm. It's, it's, it's not in hate. Yeah. Hate is something that comes from it to defend it, but it comes from poverty because they wanted free labor to build a civilization, to build this world. They, they, they didn't want to pay for it. Yeah. So if we are going to, I'm going ahead of myself, but if we're going to talk about any way of dismantling this system, I don't even know how people, I mean, I was doing a research. Blacks have less than one-tenth of the wealth that whites have in this country. I mean, Blacks and Hispanics average seventeen dollars to $20,000 worth of wealth versus a white person with 170 some thousand. So when people say, um, let's stop all this praying about it, and if you want to exclude God from this conversation, you're kind of crazy because the, the odds are such so stacked against you, you need a power outside of yourself. You need something strong, something bigger than you to deal with this. This is hundreds of years of ingrained thought, and it's based upon what? A belief in poverty. And they transferred that belief to a, a group of people, which brings me to the next thing. What does God have to do with all this? <laughs> he throw he throwing me a curveball there because I'm, I'm I'm following Henry the Navigator, you know, and I'm thinking uh -huh. about I'm thinking about poverty and I'm thinking about greed. 
I'm thinking about greed. Yeah. They didn't they didn't grow a lot of sugar cane in Europe, you know? Right. Yeah. And uh, and that's where the West Indies came in, and that's where Brazil came in, the greatest, the largest recipient of slave trade from Europe in Brazil mm -hmm. through through the Portuguese. But anyhow, um, where does God come in all of this? All right. Well, the God I believe in, the God I believe in, only knows I am. Only knows I am. It doesn't look at skin color. It, it's not even aware of skin. It's not even aware of differentiated humanoid beings. It just knows I am one mind, one mind expressing as your mind, my mind, everyone else's mind, and the racist mind. And the in our Declaration of Principles, there's a document called What I Believe. Holmes, Ernest Holmes wrote in the 20s, became what we believe. And there's a line in there. It says, we believe that, that um, God is, is present in all creation, throughout all creation, but is not absorbed by its creation. And what that means to me is on two levels. One is that God can be a tree, but while it's being a tree, it's not not being everything else at the same time. It's fully present in the tree and it's fully present in the cloud and it's fully present in you all at the same time. And how it's able to do that is because it's infinite. No finite property could accomplish that. But the other thing about the absorption that makes more sense is that God is not absorbed in attention, in attention one place. So when you and I are focused on a situation, all the attention of the universe isn't present there to the exclusion of it being everywhere else at the same time. Mm -hmm. Emerson put it this way. He says, the finite alone has wrought, has worked and suffered. The, the infinite lies stretched in smiling repose. So the infinite just knows I am. And it has created each of us from within itself. And we have free will. And it gets complicated because we're born into this life. We're born into the family, into the culture that we're born into. And immediately we pick up the story where it left off. You know, we have an ancestral memory that passes through us. And yet we get up every morning and face a new day. And we're trying to figure all of this stuff out. And we make mistakes and we go into fear and we go into love and so on. And back of it all is this perfect, serene I am. And that's where we go in prayer. So to answer your question or to respond to it, I think there's, there's a middle way that we have to take as metaphysicians, okay? One way is, is to just say everything's perfect at the level of God and leave it at that. And let's just fold our hands and wait for a better world. Second way is to say that everything is a complete shambles in this life, in this world, and that there's trouble everywhere. And as soon as we heal racism, there's going to be another coronavirus, or there's going to be a meteor hit the earth. There's going to be something. There's always going to be something. But there's a third way that says, I'm not going to stick my head in the sand, and I'm not going to disregard what's before me to do. And if the house catches fire, I'm putting it out. While at the same time, knowing that back of that experience is that serene I am that is still unaffected, is still unmoved, is still whole and complete. And that's where I go in prayer. So this is what I do in my spiritual practice. And it's what I do in, did in the lead up to, to being with you tonight in this, in this conversation. 
because what I wanted to do coming into this conversation is, you know, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not at all hesitant to have these conversations with you. And I want to make sure that I speak the absolute truth as I see it and, and, uh, and find that within myself and put it across the, the best way I could. So I go to spirit and I say, let me marinate for a while in the I am of my own being so that I can, so that I can be in this truth. So that Donald and I together, along with people who are watching and people of solid, wholesome, healthy intention can heal this world because it is in need of healing. There's a place that's not in need of healing that is in spirit. And then there's this experience of this world. So to me, that's how it operates is that this balance between the material and the spiritual, this recognition that on the one hand, at the spiritual level, everything's perfect. And at the, at the material level, we got, we got work to do. We got work. Yeah. We're going to, I think God has everything to do. It just all depends on how you, View God. My grandfather told me before he passed, he said, For God is to you what you allow him to be. And uh, word of caution, everybody, this is the spiritually uncouth section of the internet. So if you if you were coming in here expecting, you know, regular Christian dark, uh, uh, jargon and stuff like that, you might be a little surprised. This is a little bit different. So I have a lot of friends from different faiths and stuff like that. And But this conversation is more of a, a universal uh, approach to this because obviously the Christianity that was fed to my particular people, Native, you know, Black Americans, if you will, was a, a Christianity of servitude, of pray to believe that your afterlife would be better. Yeah. yeah. That goes against what Jesus taught. But when the people don't know how to read, what do you get? And when you got a whip over <laughs> over their heads, when and and when you have a whole system set to suppress them, and this lasts for a long time. So I remember being taught even by my grandmother, she meant well, but she's like, God punished black people. That's, we were taught that in the Bible, stuff like that, you know, through ham and, you yeah. know, all that type of stuff, right? And as I got older, knowledge started to expand and stuff like that. But you got to remember, you know, that's what she was taught. My grandmother was born in 1931. So we're not that far removed from a certain type of thinking, but God has everything to do with this, but we're tired of marching. We're tired of asking for equal rights. We're tired of going to the media when somebody gets shot, strangled. We're tired of seeing little white boys can go to the movie theater shoot up the movie and be apprehended and put in cuffs. A, a black man could be reaching for his license and get shot. And it's filmed on Facebook Live and nothing happened. And then people say, that's not a, that's, that's no problem. So then you say, I don't want to pray about it. 
Could it be that we as a people have lost belief in prayer, its efficacy, its power, or is it that we don't truly have a, a true understanding of prayer on a, on, and its power and its implication? Mm -hmm. Because the, the worst thing that was taken from us is slavery. My personal opinion as Black is our name, your identity. So I believe that when we're praying, we're praying from pain. We're praying from struggle. We're praying from this, right? So you have to ask yourself a question. When a Black movie comes out, it said, this is a Black movie. It needs to be supported. When Black people open up businesses, these are Black businesses. They need to be supported. We have HBCUs, historically Black colleges and universities. They need to be supported. Why are there always special concessions needed for people of color? A lot of whites will say, yeah, 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 why is that? Well, you know, y'all always begging, you need this, you need that, you don't do this. Shh, stop a minute, think about it. But when Blacks think about their business, they, we always think we, we, we need to be acknowledged. But when whites come out with movies, it's just a film. Yeah. It's a business. Yeah. It's not, you don't, you don't see it proclaimed, this is a white-owned business. And whites want to know, why is that? I'm going to tell you why. Because the identity of us as a people are that we're disenfranchised. And so we celebrate every win. There's a brother here in the city just opened up a, a Black-owned grocery store. And do you know whites commented and said, that's racist. Why? I would go if it wasn't Black-owned. It's just called it a grocery store. And he got all that type of stuff. And what they don't realize is that you're talking to a hurt people. You know, so to have this conversation, and I know I'm having it with the right guy. I know I'm having it with the, the right person. That I'm 100%. I never thought any different. The thing is, is that in order to approach race in America, you have to approach it from empathy, which people don't have. But I think there's a dirty spiritual little secret to this. I really do. I really do. And I believe that prayer still works. I believe that this thing we call God is real. And I believe that if we choose to see this a different way, that we can work through this racism. I don't believe that it can be abolished. Reason being is because the root of it is in poverty, and poverty is a fix. Even Jesus said the poor will be with you always. And I believe it's poverty, poor-minded people that, that, that were slave owners. Poor-minded people that used to say, okay, we're going to create a housing market and lock you guys out. We're going to create a job market and lock you guys out. We're going to cause what you can't read. We're going to talk about you. We're going to create laws where you guys, it's really designed for people in your position that have a lack of resources, a lack of access. It's designed to keep you oppressed and down. And mm -hmm. what will happen? The people will follow this pattern because this is all that we know. But if we can teach this particular teaching, and is it the, the crazy part? I wouldn't want to plan on going there. It's exactly what Jesus taught. Would you agree that the reason his movement took off so well is because he preached to the poor? Absolutely. Would you Absolutely. agree that, that, yeah. that, you know, what was the common belief back then? 
that if you die, what you 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 wouldn't have a a good afterlife because of your social status, right? They were kind of vague about that. Mm -hmm. The Jews basically about the afterlife altogether, but the the Hebrew Testament prophets, uh, fifteen hundred years, let's say, before Jesus, were saying, "Woe unto the Israel." Because we're not taking care of each other. Mm. There's too much power in, in, the, in the kings, in the monarchy, in the, in the nobility of the tribes, the leadership of the tribes. We're not taking care of our own people. So it was not a new thing. And, he, and it wasn't the fault entirely of the Romans. The Romans actually had, you know, they had a, they had a knack, let's say, for building empires. It, it wasn't good, but it worked. They had governors and they, they had a, quite a system set up. But what Jesus was calling out was the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He didn't really blast Rome. He said, we're not taking care of each other. And here's this, here's this person from Samaria, you know, he's my brother. He's, he's my neighbor. And he has to, and he has to tell a story about it. And the story's lost on probably a lot of the people that heard it. Even in his time, they looked at him and they said, oh, Jesus, you're the son of God. You're the Messiah. We've waited for you. You're absolutely wonderful. And his message went right over their heads, you know. And today we're still trying to figure out what exactly he meant by the poor will always be with you. You mean there'll always be somebody for you to help? There'll always be somebody with a, a tragedy, a disaster going on? Or did he mean a whole class of, of disenfranchised people? We don't, you know, we, we don't know. But, uh, you know, to, wow, you, you bring up so many, so many different points. I, I want to go, you know, here and there on. Um, we're a very young country. We're a very young civilization in the West. I don't know any other civilizations throughout history that have had the kind of conversations that are going on in the culture right now today of reckoning. Mm -hmm. Of figuring out where a, n a number of people, um, a number of white people are, are taking responsibility for the privilege that they experience just by virtue of being born into a white body mm -hmm. and seeing what, what that has cost them and what that has cost the world and the whole, the whole idea of our, our going forward as, as brothers and, and sisters together is dependent on uh, a healing and an, and an enmity and a compassion such as we need to have. But first, you got to lance some boils. First, you've got to address some unpleasant realities that exist. Just as when you say, the land I sit on was stolen from somebody. Right. To acknowledge that. And I think where a lot of white people go with this, well, if I acknowledge it, what's it going to cost me? Right. Do I have to give up my, my home? Do I have to give up my business? Uh huh. How much actual cash money is going to move out of my life over this? Right. Well, that's, that's poverty thinking. That's, that's the same kind of poverty thinking that has people take slaves as free labor. Right. And finally, this, on this point, I wanted to get this in. Anytime somebody would ask for prayer from either one of us for prosperity, for wealth, for success, and tell us that what 
how they were going to go about that was they were going to steal somebody else's rights. We, we would hurry to assure them that they would never have the kind of prosperity that they wanted. Instead, they'd have a lot of sleepless nights. They would not enjoy their, their so-called good at all if they took it at the expense of somebody else. And I believe that this is true of the institutions that profit from racism and racial discord over the decades. They are bound to fail. They are set up to fail. They are imploding even as we watch. Reputations are crumbling. Great universities and, and venerable institutions and beautiful buildings and stuff that have stood there forever, draped in Spanish moss and covered in ivy and all, you know, as representing just bulwarks of civilization. They are crumbling away to dust because they were built on a lie. They were built on theft. Theft of people, theft of money, theft of life. And, uh, and that's not politics. That's not even economics. That's spiritual law. That's spiritual law. I believe that when you're dealing with this issue, not only has our identity been hijacked, Our wealth and the ability to get wealth has been hijacked. So we're already behind. With me saying that, when you see a lot of whites saying, why don't you just do right? Why don't you just do this? And it, that, that is no systematic thing that's suppressing you guys. You just aren't acting right. You don't realize that when that constitution was written, right? And all the land was given out. It was given out to everybody except blacks. And I'm, and I'm making this point to say is that we're so economically behind at this point. It's going to take a belief, a real belief in God to catch this up because race, I'm going, I'm going all over the place, but I'm going somewhere. Race is about Who's going to win? The, who's going to come in first place, yeah. second place, third? We're at the bottom as black people. And that was on purpose. So for you to expect the people that were purposely placed on the bottom to automatically come up, either <laughs> yeah. you got a lot of faith in us, or, <laughs> or, you, or you're sorely mistaken. But the thing is, is with with, with this here thing, with not only are, has our wealth been taken and our identity have, has been taken, but there's the, our social cohesiveness has been taken. And those three things are needed for this racism as we know it to end. Because the problem is, is that we can't get laws passed to protect black people because we don't have enough money to buy the politicians. We don't own enough. The problem is, is that, and I'm gonna just let the cat out the bag. So many black people hate on each other. We don't have social cohesiveness, so we can't even put our two cents together to create something. That's a personal problem. And, and, and so that identity issue is what creates that. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. the, the, the darker skinned Negro versus the lighter skin and, and so on and so forth. So 
if we're going to even go into this direction of what's the solution, it's going to have to be to make a demand on the powers that be, but you cannot make a demand on the powers that be if your I am says that I am weak. Right. I am disenfranchised. Because when you say I am black, what you're saying is that I am less than. Which brings me to the, the thing, that N-word. Mm -hmm. The N-word. It, it, you know, you got a lot of whites that ask the question, if you guys can use it, why can't we? Mm. Isn't that stupid? Yeah, it's stupid. That's bold, that stupid. Yeah. yeah. You know, so why 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 is it? It's so simple. It's because you use the word historically to oppress a people, to talk about a people, to take their name. You use it, the word negro uh, negro is you know Latin and it comes from the word black to define right. you know. So we say we're gonna define you as a color. And not as a person. I don't care about your name. So, nigger, that's what you are. And then it became long, over and over and over, it became even more, you know, a, a sinister term because I don't even care who you are. This is what you are. You're ignorant, you're dumb, you're this, you're that. And so now you got people that are more concerned about putting themselves in other, uh, another social group's business. To say we want to use this word, which is classically the hit, the problem with whites anyway, is that they're always into other people's business. Absolutely. <laughs> That's been a problem anyway. So now you want to say we want access to this word. What don't you want access to, man? Yeah. So here's the thing. If you want access to this word, then we want access to wealth. We want access to fair treatment. We want access to, you know, all this other stuff that, we, that, that's that been going on. But you and I know that we cannot change how people think. We, you, you can't do that. That's why I've decided to have this conversation because the, the only thing I know is that politics ain't working. Certain types of prayers ain't working. Marching ain't working. <laughs> because you're still all the way down to this this part in history, and you still have one half of the wealth of, of, of a people group, something's not working. So the only thing I know will work, and I believe is radical spirituality. Yeah. But why can't black whites use the N-word? Because the, 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 the history of it is violent. The history yeah. of it is oppressive. The, why would the, I, the question they should yeah. ask themselves is, why do you want to use it? Why I was trying because why why would you ever read Dick Gregory? I've I've seen it. All right. Dick Gregory Giant, he wrote a book by that title, The N-Word. Uh -huh. And uh he said with that one, it was um it was really his autobiography, one of his two autobiographies. And he said, with that one word, you completely defeat me as a human being. Uh -huh. That one word. Every bit of accomplishment every bit of success every bit of self-respect that i have developed in my life mm -hmm. goes away instantly the moment a white man calls me that word right. wow that's why no white man should use that word i prefer if nobody used it but at the same time it's none of my business if if a 
if a black musician wants to put it in a song as a statement of pride and reclaiming self-respect, I get that in very much the same way as to me, as the LGBTQ community has reclaimed the Q word that was a word that queer, that was a word that was an insult to them for decades. And, and now they proudly, many, not all, but many proudly call themselves members of the queer community. They're taking it back. They're taking it back. And so I get that as a, like a psychological move, you know, to, to take back this power. But I want to go back to something else that you said about this, too, which is fascinating about how, how white America or the white West really co-opts the black experience. I'm a student of music. And I grew up listening to the, to the British invasion blues music that the GIs had heard in Europe from black soldiers from the South who were introducing them to, to Robert Johnson and, uh, and uh, the, the early Delta blues. And then it, it went on a TV show in England and, and all of these guys, the Led Zeppelin people and all of these little, little white people who were you know 15 years old at the time watched this and said, I like that kind of music. And they created it in England and brought it back here. And all of a sudden the blues got noticed and went to the top of the charts. And then finally later, B.B. Uh, King and Buddy Guy and some of these wonderful black musicians who have been playing for Nichols in clubs in Chicago got discovered and got called on stage with the white bands. And all of a sudden now they, they were known and they became famous and they started getting paid what they were worth. And I think about it too, in the sense of the music today, the most popular and best-selling music on the planet is rap and hip hop. It has been for about the last 20 years, you know, and yet is that recognized as a legitimate art form? There are debates every year about should it go in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Is this really music? Is it really music or is it or is it social commentary? They didn't say the same things when it was social commentary coming out of Bob Dylan 50 years ago. You know, it was oh that's folk music and there's a long, rich tradition. But now there's all of this hair splitting about where does this stuff fit? And you see it in the whole business of cultural appropriation, which I have been very guilty of throughout my life. I've called it cultural appreciation, not just from the black community, but from indigenous people, different cultures, not making fun of them, but thinking, hey, this is really cool that this is how these people dress or this is how they drum, you know, and, and trying to bring that into my life and into my work when I realize I haven't done the work to earn it. White people did this with indigenous people. There's all kinds of just crazy stuff that we do about the uh, North American and uh, uh, tribes where we, we take their, their venerable spirituality and we turn it into a deck of cards for fortune telling, you know? We turn it into a weekend retreat where some of us can go sit in a sweat lodge. We haven't done any of the purging work, any of the cleansing work to deserve to be there, but we're willing to shell out 200 bucks to do it because it makes us feel better about ourselves. It's nutty, it's crazy, it really is. So where do we go with this? Um, you know, on, on the N-word, I, I think it's a word that should be buried, but I think it should be buried like nuclear waste and a sign erected by it saying, don't dig here. Don't dig this up. This is too toxic. This is where it comes from. Some kind of historical marker that says this is an awful thing that some people called some other people at one point. Because words have power. You know, words, you know that. Words are symbols. and Words carry. That word isn't just 
isn't just the two syllables it appears to be it's got the weight of centuries of stuff behind it that uh that has to be accounted for when it's when it's brought into into public conversation and and then i think there's an overreaction in one small way about it where that book by dick gregory i mentioned by that title a college professor recommended to a student who wanted to know more about racial justice in america and that professor got fired just for recommending that book with that title and i think that's crazy because if we can't even discuss these things right you know the whole cult, uh, critical race. Let me riff on one more thing, if you don't mind. And you interrupt oh, me if I'm going on too long. But critical race theory. I want to go on to critical race theory for just a moment, because when I first started hearing about it and, and you know what it was, I realized I spent the first nine years of my education in a Christian school up north that was run, was founded, and run by a biracial nun from Harlem. We learned critical race theory in third grade. You know that? We learned about slavery. We learned about Native American tribes we learned not just how they factored it not what you know the battles they fought and who their great chiefs were and that but how they lived day to day how, how the ones that lived in the plains had a certain kind of agriculture and the ones who lived in the mountains and the ones who lived by the ocean and so forth and we learned about the slave trade in america not just in the american south but how it had moved after the great migration into the north american factory towns and mills and this is what i learned from a group of christian nuns when i was a little kid and you know what i didn't come away from that looking at my white skin thinking i'm awful i hate myself for this i came away from that thinking i'm accountable i'm accountable i got born into this skin and it that has evidently granted me certain privileges and i i i am bound to god to use those privileges to to help heal this world. And this is what these nuns were trying to teach us. And it wasn't just white kids in the school. We had a very diverse community, including a bunch of UN kids. I mean, there were, there were Arab kids and, and, uh, and kids um, from Africa who were, you know, African citizens whose, whose parents were working in, in the, the uh, diplomatic field in the city and uh, during the school year and stuff. And so we were from all over the place, but we learned this and all of us came away with this passion for, uh, for doing so. And we weren't the only group and it wasn't the only school that was doing this. So when you hear today that, oh, this terrible thing is coming about now and all these children, all these white children are gonna go about hating themselves because all of this guilt is being dumped on them for stuff that they never did. Now it's baloney. Those kids will look around and they'll be more compassionate. They'll be more concerned and they'll be working for a world that works for everyone. And that's what a system, this power system doesn't want. What can we do about it? We can't change what people think of us. We can't force people to do anything. Some people say reparations for uh, Blacks that were born of from slave lineage, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not against it, but at the same time, what happens? What you know, you give all that money and stuff like that. What 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 would then happen? I, who knows? I, I, I don't, I, I don't yeah. think you give money to people all the time. It just solves issues. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like settling a sexual assault claim. 
Right. You know, somebody's been brutalized. Well, here, how many hundreds of thousands of dollars do you need to shut up about it? That's that to me is where reparations could go. Uh, right. if, if nothing changes, nothing changes and, and cash isn't going to, it's just, look, I mean, look at the pandemic, you know, we've been getting these stimulus checks and stuff to tide people over, but the longer the pandemic goes, businesses still aren't fully open. Everybody's still not fully. So it's, you got to change the system back of it in some way. And I tend to look where everybody's always looked, which is to the next generations coming up. Not that I've given up on what our generation has done. Yours and I consider us of a generation. I realize there's a you know an age gap there, but what we have done, but the kids that are coming up now, the kids that are working for global climate uh, change recognition, the Greta Thunbergs of the world, you know, the young people, empowering them by letting them see conversations like this that you and I can have. I think another thing that we can do is stop eating our young, and by that I mean. We who have these agreements, such as you and I have, if you and I talk long enough, we probably find something we disagree about. Maybe not socially, politically, or even spiritually, but you have a favorite football team and it's not mine. It'd be something, right? Right. And if at that point we came to that and we said, well, then we're done here. And this is what a lot of the white progressives do, is they accuse each other of not being progressive enough not being progressive in the right ways. No, you should stop doing this and start doing that. Sometimes they focus on real, real trivial stuff. Like if somebody's reading a book, this is now this, what I'm about to say is a stupid thing for a white person to do, but just bear with me. If a white person is reading aloud out of say Mark Twain and they come across the N word and they say it, that's an ignorant thing to do, but I don't think it should cost them their career. I don't think their voice should be forever silent because they're reading a work of literature that they were handed and they were asked to read. That kind of stuff that goes on. The political correctness run amok where we're breathing down each other's neck about not saying or doing the, the, the wrong thing. We got to get back to where we read each other's hearts and we recognize a good heart person when we see it. And maybe that person's ignorant, in which case we endeavor to educate them. We endeavor to show them the light, you know? And if they say, well, I don't understand how all of this, we give them, we give them Prince Henry, the navigator. I mean, we give them the backstory and say, here's the history. You can read it. This isn't liberal history or conservative history. This is just by God history. It's there. There are documents that back this up. Here's what happened. You know, mm -hmm. here, here's which university built a new hall by selling off some slaves in the 1820s. And, and nobody knew it. You know, here, here's who worked on the Capitol building in, in New York, and, and there are receipts. There are receipts for the, the time that was their owners were paid. Their owners were paid for the loan of their slaves to build the Capitol building, and I think the Congressional Office building. There's this is this is history. Now you you give them that information, they're no longer they can ignore it, but they're no longer oblivious to it. You say, well, it's you know it's there, and I think in that spirit we move forward, and then we call. We call each other uh, to task in a, in a healthy kind of way where, wow, you know, there's just, there's just some stuff I, uh, I overlooked and, uh, and somebody will point that out and it's like, okay, I'll, I'll do better. I'll do better. I'll go on. You know? I asked myself this question. What does Oprah Winfrey 
Tyler Perry, various, very successful billionaire Black Americans have in common. They came from poverty, but that wasn't, like, they didn't use that as an excuse. They, so you can't say that they were lucky. You can, but that's idiotic. <laughs> that wasn't luck. That's just the work and it's some faith. The question we should be asking is what kind of faith that these people have that propelled them to another level? Okay. And I'm not saying that money is the end all be all. But what I am saying in this race discussion, if we have less than one tenth of the wealth in this country, wealth is going to be something that's going to take us out of this paradigm that we're currently in. So let's study the wealthy. And I got to looking at Oprah's background. And her grandmother raised her. And her grandmother was a maid. Her mother was a maid. Her great-grandmother was a maid. And so her grandmother, all she knew was Jesus and washing clothes. And she said, I, I trained Oprah. She was trained Oprah, hey, you better watch how to do this, put these clothes online, because this is what you're going to do. Programming. But Oprah said, deep down inside, I knew that this wasn't going to be me. I had to get out of Mississippi. I knew this wasn't going to be me. She said, I believe something in the Bible. Simple childhood faith. And she, this is real simple. She said, if God created the world, and God is Jesus's daddy, then God must be mine. Yeah. It's really simple. Yeah. And if God is my dad, then I can have what I want if I'm willing to go after it. Boy, did she. And look at what happened. What we believe about God and what we believe about ourselves is of utmost importance in this hour. Because when you say we're I'm a black man, that comes with so much history of pain and turmoil and strife. And could it be that that identification with black is what's actually holding us back? I want that, I want, you know, this is getting fairy tale like to a lot of people. Now, I don't want to hear that. I want to, you know, if they hit me, I hit them back. Okay, but you can't solve a problem on with the same mind that created it. Yeah, we right. know that. We know that you can't heal a wound in the same environment that it was created in. So we got to go to something higher that's, a, that's above pain, that's above your past, that's above your future. You got to go to a place. You got to go to God. I mean, you, you have to. It starts with having dialogues like this. Daryl Davis, the black man, the musician that was famous for having conversations with well over 200 KKK. Yeah. He got them yeah. to leave the KKK off of having conversations. His life was threatened. His livelihood was threatened. But he felt a divine pull to sit there and have a conversation with these people. What was it about him? It was his I am. It was his I am, you know? So who do we say that we are 
as a people. I'm talking about black people. We, we, the only way I know spiritually for us to start this is to deal with what we can't control. We can't control the media. We can't control Big Pharma. <laughs> we can't control everything that's going against us, but we can control what we believe about ourselves. Here's another one. Instead of all the preachers and activists rushing to just police crime and stuff like that, how about when every one, one of us kill each other, steal from each other in our own neighborhoods? Why don't we act as, why don't we put a lot of emphasis on that, have press conferences about that, have State of the Union type addresses in our local churches about that, make a big deal about our own conduct in our own neighborhoods take personal responsibility for, for what we can do. And a lot of people, they're not, they're not gonna like me for saying this. And that's crazy. That's crazy. Why, why, why would you like to hear somebody say, you need to take personal responsibility because crime is crime. But if we change how we treat ourselves, how we think about ourselves, how we hold ourselves accountable to me, from our spiritual teachings that we believe, it will reflect out in the world and start drawing back mm -hmm. things like itself. Mm -hmm. But there's a, in the black church particularly, there's this belief. And it's not like I'm going off, but it's not. There's mm. belief that come to God as you are. They say, read your Bible and say, come, at, come as you are. That's not even in the Bible. Not There's no verse. <laughs> yeah. Again, that's not how beliefs just pass. It's in the Bible. It's not. Mm -hmm. But that Bible says, don't be bringing God any type of sacrifice. It does say that. Sermon on the Mount. It's, it, it, that Bible says that one sacrifice that the Israelites were given, he said, this is a strange fire. I don't receive it. Don't be giving me no sick quail. Don't be giving me no sick animal. Give me your best. But yet we still want to come in our own places of worship, dressed any kind of way, acting any kind of way. Hmm. I'm going somewhere with this. So if the idea that God was saying, bring your best to me in prayer, in worship, so that I can burn this on the altar, and then I'll give you back a blessing that's representative of what you gave to me. Mm -hmm. You can't come to God any kind of way. Now, what I'm saying is that could it be that our identity that we're bringing in prayer is a broken identity, a fragmented identity, a, a, a distrustful identity, a, a hurt identity, and we're getting it back in our experiences. Give yeah. and it shall be given unto you. Yeah. Yeah. So racism is not our fault, but now it's our responsibility. And we've reached the age we can read. We can see the secrets in that Bible. We can see what the master teacher was teaching. We can see. And obviously, you got blacks that are successful. But what's different about them? Mindset. So if we can get us as a collective to change our mindset through certain practices, through certain principles, that's the only thing that would change the tide of racism in this country. That's not going worrying about what a white man gonna do. Yeah. That's not worrying about well, a that who cares about them. I care about me. What I think about me, what I believe about God, 
But, you know, that's hard to do in church. You know why? Because that somebody argued, did you baptize in Jesus' name? Do you talk in tongues? Do right. You, they about Hair this. splitting, yeah. Even Jesus said the kingdom of darkness is not even divided. Yeah. It's not divided. So you just had a preacher the other day. Did you see it? Uh, Michael Todd. He, he did something wild. He oh, did spit. an illustration with the spit. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Why so many black people tore him down? Why so many black Christians tore him down? I heard that in Christianity, we're the only people that, you know, tear down our wounded. You see what I'm saying? They're leaving. So why do they tear him down? They forget that over the pandemic, that man gave away over $3 million. Over $3 million. Would you have said that about him if he would have gave you some of that money? Yeah. He's doing great work. All of a sudden, now he's a false prophet. What, what, so, so we can't if our churches are divided, if our people are divided with, among us, we got to go deeper. And it starts having these conversations and reevaluate our spiritual beliefs, reevaluate our spiritual practices. You know, and, and I'm saying this as a, as a black person. I've been called a nigga by a white man. Uh-huh. He, he said it to me. He wanted to fight me so much. I was at Magnolia, Texas. Mm -hmm. And we were out of life. And he pulled up on me, and he was he, he was going to town. I wanted to fight him too. I'm, I'm gonna be real. I, I'm not. I'm not Gandhi. But what happened? I knew that if I would have got out that car and dealt with him because of the system that we live in, nine times out of ten, I would have been in trouble. Not him. Something else would worse would have happened to me because. I'm in a territory that's known for racism. Now, how do you how do you expect us to elevate above that, Donald? It happened to you. How do you expect us to overcome it? I didn't say it would be easy, but it will be worth it. Yeah, exactly. I said, I'm putting me on the line. I need this. I, you know, I, 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 I'm standing in the need of prayer with this situation. I'm standing in the need of prayer about my own identity. You see what I'm saying? About who I see myself as in God. What you know, do you really believe that God loves you? These type of questions. Do, do I really believe that I'm blessed? How grateful am I? It is, you know, is the world is, is things stacked against me? You see what I'm saying? All these type of things, I need this. That's why I'm having this conversation. Because I need it. And I know out of this, yeah. I know this is the truth. But I'm not purporting like I got all the answers that I but I do know from personal experience in, 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 in the war room of prayer that prayer works. And once you elevate and align yourself and your mind with things of God, things begin to happen. We just have to take this to the masses in such a way to where we begin to start thinking on one accord. That's all. That's 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 all I know. What 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 do you believe? What do you think? Let me check in with Lisa here because she's waving at us. Can you give us another five minutes? Well, I was just going to let you know that it is 20 after eight. Okay. Um, how so many? How I, many? You can take all the time you want, but I'm just letting you know. Okay. Uh, and we get a, there, one, there's a whole lot of comments, but you, you've kind of touched on a lot of them. Okay. Um, so okay. let me just give you uh, one 
It was a bootstrap comment. I am you. I, you know exactly what I'm talking about with the bootstrap yeah. comment. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'll let you talk about that. Yeah. And then um, there was another comment about how extremist groups can play into it. Um, and then there was. I'm just going to read you the comment and let you go. And then y'all can talk as long as you want. Uh, I'm a high maintenance people into this room. Focus on what's happening in the natural will skew our vision. Looking beyond the natural into the truth will enable us to see rightly. That's nice. So I like that. That's, that's the three questions per se, except for, like I said, the bootstrap comment and then the yeah. extremist comment. And then I'm going to turn you back loose, but I'm reminding you it is 820. Okay. Well, I, thank you, Lisa. Reverend Lisa Ryan in Palm Desert, California or someplace. Um, yeah, on the bootstrapping thing, and this a few minutes ago you said, Donald, how you you felt like you might be in trouble with some black people for what you were about to say about do we take our brokenness into prayer uh, right. about how we can we can direct the mind toward good and so on. And my thinking is, you're you're probably not in trouble with black people for saying that. You, if there's any trouble at all, you're in trouble with black people for saying that in front of me for saying that in the hearing in the presence of a white man. Because where white people tend to go with comments like that, and we got called on this, they thought we were gonna go there in the first conversation. There was a comment about halfway through about this, where I thought, where I got the feeling that they thought, the people watching thought, that I was gonna take your comments and take them in the direction of, well, Donald, all you people need to do is, is get your act together and, and have self-confidence and work hard and, and you can make something of yourselves. In the spiritual realm, that's absolutely true. We all take our brokenness into prayer. And if we pray from our brokenness, we get handed back more brokenness. If we pray from our unity in spirit, we get back unity. We pray, we get what we pray from. One of my colleagues said that years ago, and it stuck with me. He says, I may not get what I pray for, but I always get what I pray from. So the consciousness that I'm praying from, that's absolutely right. But why should you, and why should Black people and people of color generally have to start from a place that's a whole bunch of floors below where I get to start. That's not right. And that's what has to be addressed in the in the systemic approach to things, to making it making it easier, making it easier for people. This life isn't easy. If we heal racism, you know what? There's still cancer, man. There's still heart disease. There's still traffic accidents. There's still wild weather. Even if we heal the climate change stuff of the industrial era, there's still going to be hurricanes and tornadoes. I mean, and, and people and people fall out of love and people lose their way and lose their lose their their motivation for things, no matter what, you know. So it's like we've got enough problems already just by virtue of being in material form. We've got to we've got to heal this and we've got to approach it from. A, so what it's the white person's job to do is to begin from the white side of the conversation, begin dismantling. And I don't by that, I don't mean bombing, but dismantling some of the institutions. And the ways they do business. Where like going back to you were talking about kind of the um, oh, like. Um, segregation in the workplace where 
let's say there's a, let's say there's a black person who does really well in school. And so they get a scholarship to a great university and they go there and they do great. And then they go to graduate school and they do great. And they come out now they're with a law firm or they're some big company, you know, and they're executive. They come in at, at a high level, you know, high executive level. What are they assigned to do? Work on the minority accounts, work in the minority areas, work on this, work on it. And, and they're constantly trotted out as being, you know, here's our, here's our senior vice president. And, and you'll, you'll notice that they're black. You'll notice that aren't we, aren't we proud of ourselves? They're still not a lawyer like all the other lawyers. They're still not an engineer like all the en other engineers working on a situation. They're still singled out as being different and strange. And that's what has to change. That's what has to change is where all of us are known by name and known by affinity and occupation and interest. And if, if need be, maybe by level of skill, because they're, you, if you're going to be a brain surgeon, there's stuff you've got to be able to do and you have to test into it, you know, that kind of thing. So um, Lisa is back with us. Yes. yes? You have another. Uh, I, uh, this is a, a question started with a comment. So um, I see racism rooted in fear. Would you say poverty is the same as fear for those who are privileged? Oops. A perspective rooted in scarcity, creating fear that results in poverty. I'll repeat it if you need me to. I think I get it. Donald, you want that one? I believe that. <clears throat> I, I, I believe that that's a circular statement. I believe it, 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 that's exactly the truth. I believe that the poverty, who well, I want to get that quote right, it's from, a, it's actually from an apocryphal gospel mm -hmm. of Thomas. And it says, it's about, but if you don't know yourself, you will become the poverty, mm -hmm. Jesus said. <laughs> so when you, the poverty, that's what starts this. A poverty, a poor mindset that, you know, hey, we're going to get these people. We're going to tell these people that they're less than. We're going to stop them from being able to read. We're going to take their rights away. We're going to just mind, just mind jack them so that they will do nothing but look up to us. And, okay, but that's rude. Why would you have to do that if you weren't poor anyway? Why? If your spirit wasn't poor anyway, yeah. why would you have to do it? Yeah. And so here's the secret. Once we as a people begin to look at people as spirits, but we found them not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, right? We say, no, you're not racist, you're poor. I feel bad for you. You're, you're poor spirit. When you begin, instead of looking at, oh, they're coming down on us. You know how it is for the black man. You know how it is. And we, and this has become so common. I'm, I'm guilty of it myself. It's become so common that we even make jokes about it. But this is no joking matter. That when it becomes, you know, when you start being able to look at people for what they are spiritually, it gives you power. I know it for a fact because I've done it in other areas of my life. It's just that in this particular area, 
It's I, we've made it so big because it is. But but that doesn't mean that we can't dismantle this mindset. And we but we got to know what kind of what we're going for in prayer. We got to know the target. Say, okay, that's a poor person. Oh, just so poor, all they have is money. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's all I need is for yeah. <laughs> you know, right? So yeah, that's, I believe that. Yeah, yeah, and and this you know this poverty and this hopeless poverty. If you go through a you go through a patch, you don't have a lot of money, uh, but you've got big dreams, you've got big plans. It's like you could argue was Oprah poor when she developed the vision of what her life was going to be. Even if she hadn't yet gotten there, she had this rich vision inside. She had, some would call it a fantasy world. You know, she had this place where she went in consciousness, where she was already the powerful woman that she has become today. And so that was her relief. But I, there are people who, what if you're working and you know that as soon as you have some money, it's going to be snatched away from you. As soon as you buy some land, it's going to be confiscated. It, as soon, there's no way you can get ahead. There's no way you can. Right. Do it. That turns into rate. That's the raisin in the sun. You know that that turns into just this absolute furious rage. Completely understandable. And that's why I believe it's our responsibility to have the conversation, to enlighten each other, blacks, whites, whoever. So that those of us that do have, we have the empathy and the means to help rescue. So, you know, because it took my ancestors dying and come, you know, and stuff like that, just so I can have this ability to have this conversation. You see, so I'm not, you know, my grandparents didn't think necessarily like this. And you know that their parents didn't think like this. But it was because of them that we have this ability to be exposed to the truth. And you shall know it because now this truth is setting us free. And so with that, it's our responsibility as a people to do something, to take action. But as black people, we can it's our responsibility to demand differently from our politicians to demand stuff. But if how can you make a demand if you don't think of yourself like a grasshopper? How can you make it? That's why I keep going back to the mind. It's not, it's not something simple about saying, oh, just think better and do better. And don't know what I'm saying. This is a hard thing. This is a radical thing. You're going to have to see yourself the way God sees you. And if we be honest with ourselves, a lot of times we've been talking God. Church is real good about entertaining people at this point. You know what I'm saying? And, you, know, it's, you know, they look at sewing as only something for money. No, this, you got to sew your whole personality. You got to surrender your whole consciousness to this thing because this thing is, is big. And so when I look at this, I'm looking at this as something radical. Something you're getting back to what you were supposed to be. Again, why is it that black movies need more concessions than white ones? Because white people automatically think of themselves differently and they already have a social construct that allows them to think of themselves differently. So if we are going to have to, if we're gonna elevate, it's gonna, we're gonna to have to think of ourselves differently, have community, be able to create a construct for ourselves 
But by us doing that, we got to stop looking out the window at what we don't have and what other people are doing to us. And we got to start, you know, transmutating that, saying, okay, I get the opportunity to live in this time. I get the opportunity to go to work. I get the opportunity to experience this person's poverty. It's making me stronger. And that's a hard thing. But as you do that, change will happen because you know, you teach this for a living, laws of attraction, things mm -hmm. like that. If we, if, if it works with money, if it works in relationships, it's going to work with this. It's just about enough of us buying into this vision. It's going to work. It's going to work. Any, how, any other questions? How are we going to do this? <laughs> Lisa? You got more for us, say, Lisa? While Lisa's checking in, you know, I read something recently. It says the house you live in right now is the homeless person's dream of a home. Wow. The job you have right now is the unemployed person's dream of a job. Everything you have, somebody is looking at you in admiration for what you've accomplished for yourself. That's a powerful thought, you know. And we bring us, we bring ourselves all along on the way. We're winning. We're winning, man. And it's, we're getting there. These conversations, maybe it's been, it's only been about the last 50 years, 60 years at the outside that these kind of conversations have have started to happen at all and when they when they happened 50 60 years ago it was in in academics it went in a book it wasn't streamed live it wasn't out there for everybody to participate in and comment on you had to really hunt it down you know and uh and now now the conversations won't stop and others will weigh in and others will and and um you know what uh, you and i are both men uh let's hear from let's hear from women Let's hear from women of color. Let's hear from white women. Let's hear from uh, gay people. Let's hear from transgendered people. Let's hear from people, uh, indigenous people. And let's hear, you know, their, their take on all of this, their viewpoint on this. Uh, uh, Tejanos, you know, in, uh, in South Texas, think they identify as white. They're identified by everybody else as people, of, as POC, but they're, they, they self-identify as white. There's this, there's this fluidity, there's this malleability. And, and now you mentioned like shades of color of skin, so many different variations on what it means to be uh, a person of a particular identity and how can we honor identity and at the same time honor universality, the universality being the spirituality of all of us, where we're all the I am becoming it's a beautiful, wonderful, powerful, and scary time that we're in. And I'm delighted to be in it with you. And thank you again, Donald, for, uh, for not only being with me in this conversation and in all the conversations that we've had, but for creating this model called Soul Sessions that has done so much good and, and has, has more to come with some other amazing people that we'll get to meet you know, down the road. Um, so if Lisa has nothing else for us, I think that you would want to go back and read the comments. They're not any specific questions, but there's a lot of really interesting stuff in the comments that you may turn into another soul session. Uh, we're looking forward to soul session three. And yeah, we'll definitely capture that. Can you save the, uh, well, I guess it's Facebook. Yeah. So you can't save Facebook. it, but uh, they'll be saved on our page anyhow. Okay. Awesome. Correct. 
Uh, Lisa, you want to give us a closing? Are we done, Donald, for the evening? I think so. All right. Want me to close us out in prayer? Would you close us out in prayer? Thank you. All right. Father God, we just want to thank you for this opportunity to be present in this moment. We thank you for such a time as this that you've chosen us to be vessels of your glory, your power, and your strength. We don't take this lightly. And Father God, what we ask for is just the wisdom, the power, the nimbleness of mind and thought to do exactly what you purpose for us to do. We thank you, Father, for this opportunity. And we ask that this word that we've spoken, that it goes forth and takes on wings as the Holy Spirit and does not return back until you void. We ask that, th that this word transcends race, transcends culture, transcends gender. We ask that the truth and the peace that passes all understanding fills up the minds and hearts of all those that are listening. And we ask that, 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 that this moment, just it, it just means more and that it creates change. Not only that it creates conversation, but it creates change. And we just thank you, Father, that we're, that we're available and able to do this. We don't take it lightly. And this we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank, thank you, my you. friend. This is awesome. Thank you. Until next time. All right. Take good care. All right. If, if you're complete, I'm going to cut the live, uh, the, the live stream. <laughs>